0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four K E Y S that's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: It's really interesting because we get to frame and we get to decide how we want to, uh, essentially how, how, you know, what, what do we want our response to be to any situation? So if, um, there, there's a great book by Michael Singer called the surrender experiment. And I love that, that aspect of, of surrender and, and realizing that there's, you know, he talks about that the universe has even more in store for you than, than you can imagine. And many times, if we look at what is a setback or an obstacle or, or a struggle in that, in that frame or paradigm, then, then it becomes something that's like, okay, there's, you know, there's a reason for this. And I look at, at joy as as our our gps that we have in our in our lives and it's constantly sort of moving us we're attracted to joy and and living in joy and i think we either grow through joy or pain and and i look at pain as the guardrails that are on either side on our way towards towards joy and those guardrails could be could be pretty narrow so we have uh you know then we're in alignment with what our joy is and and how we're truly connected with um our heads and our hearts and our higher purpose of what we're what we're doing out in the world, especially as entrepreneurs, or the guardrails could be wider and we continue to get bonked on the head harder and harder. And I think that we keep getting lessons and bonked on the head until we until we you know realize what, what's going on here. Yeah, excited! Excited to be here.
2: Yeah, so you know, I was introduced to you way, by way of our mutual friend and former guest Kamal Ravi Kant. But I also knew of your work and had heard your name many, many times over the years. Um, I want to start with a question that I've always has found has been very revealing and informative, and that is, what did your parents do for a living, and how did that influence the choices that you've made with your life and your career?
1: It, it massively influenced it. I mean, uh, I'm grateful to my parents every single day. Uh, we're uh, we're Russian immigrants and came over. I came over when I was. About three years old from Russia, from Moscow actually, and uh, and my dad, and my mom, and my grandmother came over, and my dad had about about two hundred fifty six dollars in his pocket, um, not much kind of command of the English language, and came over and. And they, you know, they, like all immigrants, uh, they went to work and, and didn't have that entitlement mentality and did whatever they need to do. But about six months into being here, he ended up starting his own medical equipment sales and service company because he was about to get fired from the hospital that he worked at uh, because they found out he was moonlighting on the side. And I, I, it's actually kind of funny because I asked him about that. You know, I always knew that story, but then I asked him about that recently and he even like kept the, the letter from his supervisor that was super threatening. And because, uh, he was in the biomedical department, which so repairing medical equipment and, and he would be off repairing medical equipment for the doctors for their private practice. And uh, the the ministers found out about it and and they're like, okay, you need to stop or you're going to be fired. And he took the, the uh, route less taken, which is that entrepreneurial route. And then I grew up working in that, Medical equipment sales and service company. You know, all through junior high, high school, you name it. Uh, 14 years old, I was telemarketing, calling on my own leads. And 16, the deal was, I got a car if I went out and actually cold called and and made sales. And uh, yes, yeah, so my dad, in his like very Russian accent, was like, "Okay, Mr. Yannick, go make some sales." <laughs> and literally, the deal, you know, I got I got a, uh, a used Toyota Corolla as my car, and uh, and I'd be 16 year old punk calling on you know, 50 year old doctors. So it massively influenced who I was.
2: Wow. You know, one of the things that i think i found is very common is this sort of immigrant work ethic that results or maybe it's just the, the byproduct of the immigrant experience and i'm curious why you think that is uh in the other question you know in a moment of potentially being fired your dad responded in a, in a somewhat positive light and turned that into something very powerful and, and i'm curious why you think certain people respond that way based on you know all the people that you've been exposed to over the course of your life
1: I love that that immigrant success mentality. I mean, there's something like I think it's like something like five times. I mean, I haven't seen the stats in a while, but when I saw them before, it's like five times as likely to become self-made millionaires than people who are born here in in the U.S. and, you know, I think part of that is a byproduct of who self-selects to actually make that immigration move, right? Because they're going to leave their friends, their families, everything that they know and and start off so they're a little more maybe risk tolerant. And it was definitely my mom pushing my dad. My dad would tell me all the time that he was happy. He's, uh, he actually got out of the the Russian army by playing ping pong. He was a really good ping pong player, like basically like force Gump and was like number five in Moscow. And so he was coaching and doing a little bit of work and, and just, you know, just happy. And my mom was the one who's really pushing for a better life for, for me. And it took them six years to get out of Russia.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, you know, the, that other part, which is, um, you know, why, why I think they're successful is that they're, they're just willing to do, they're willing to do anything. I mean, they, they really, they really are.
2: I'm curious, uh, you know, in the Russian culture, because in the Indian culture, you know, despite the fact that our parents are immigrants, we are raised with this sort of, you know, like constantly diminishing risk tolerance of, of you know, and a narrative of, oh, really, you should become a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. And, and I'm curious, you know, in the Russian culture, does that is that part of the culture to have this sort of, hey, don't waste this immigrant opportunity on some crazy gamble?
1: Uh, well so we're, we're also uh you know russian jews which is how we got out of russia and and so in, the, in you know in that jewish culture it's very much that you know you mentioned the doctor lawyer accountant i call that the jewish hat trick <laughs> it's, it's one of those or the holy trinity for for jews and it's uh you know when i kind of decided to go off on my own um back in 2000 and leave my dad's company. It was actually a really hard decision. So I grew up and originally I, my plan was to take over my company, my, my dad's company. And actually, Gary Vaynerchuk and I have a pretty similar story, which is really funny. Uh-huh. And uh, and I was able to learn direct response marketing. It's actually a doctor of mine, one of my clients who gave me Jay Abraham's work and like just loved it and and started applying direct response marketing. And, and you know, it's been an hour, two hours a day learning everything I could about that. And I used it to grow my dad's business and then I just got this itch to do something on my own and it was, it was really hard to to leave the, the family business and then also to just do something that my, my dad was like I, you know what the hell are you doing mm-hmm. I mean he literally even after I left this is a this is an absolutely true story he doesn't he doesn't remember this but I, I put out a program uh, teaching people how to do what I was doing because at that point my very first Online product was instant sales letters, and that that did really well. And then people are like, "Wow, how'd you do that? And could you teach me how to do that?" So I started teaching people how to sell their own content and expertise. And then I had it was literally on tapes. And uh, and my dad is listening to this tape with me in his car. He's listening, looking at me, listening. And he, he ejects it. He's like, "People pay for this bullshit." <laughs> and, you know, it's just like you don't you don't have that. That just you know they didn't understand it, uh, and and so it was. It was fascinating because uh, I think one of one of the biggest things that we learn, I think, in our lifetimes is to truly follow our own voice and to and to you know just do what do what we want to do and not live for the sake of our parents and for you know and it's hard because if you you feel obligated in some ways, especially because they presented you with this amazing opportunity and and you know that wasn't certainly I don't I don't think was his goal for me and. I just recently interviewed him with my brother, which is great because we did a, I call these legendary legacy interviews. And I did one with my uncle before he passed. And, you know, I asked my dad about this because my, my stepbrother worked there, my, my, my younger brother worked there and and he just exited from a a VC back company. And, And he's like, you know, my original dream was for everyone to work together. And he's like, I'm so happy it didn't work out. And it was actually really cool to, to see that. You everything does work out in that right way.
2: Yeah, I, I do want to talk about that because I know you've wrote about that in the book. Um, but before we get there, I want to ask you another question. Uh, you know, having been raised by entrepreneurial parents, uh, what advice would you give to parents listening to this about raising entrepreneurial
1: kids? <laughs> yeah, I've thought a lot about this because we actually put on a family event for kids every year. So my kids are 11 and nine right now and and I literally, you know, created like a lot of things I, I believe in almost like scratching your, your own itch. And I, I created a family event just because I wanted them to be exposed to some of these ideas and, and to, you know, get them thinking about this. And I think some of the things, so I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurial parents and one thing is that we're concerned with that, you know, the struggle is what made us so, it's you know by taking away a lot of times we're like okay if we've already made it then we want to make it easier for our kids but a lot of times it's that it's that striving it's the dealing with challenges that actually makes you who you are and then the other side is if you make it too difficult for your kids it can turn into resentment and and them you know turning away from you in some way so so it really is this unique balancing that uh that you want to try and do and i will you know, what I try and do is put them in situations where they have to like I think about 21st century skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's you know, you don't necessarily need to know facts today. We have Google, we have whatever that, that you know, pretty quickly we can figure out who won the, the Super Bowl 18 years ago or what the, the square root of, you know, 81 is or whatever it is. It's, you need to know how to think, you need to know how to creatively put concepts together. You need to know how to be, how to be innovative, how to, how to solve challenges, you know, how to do the things that are really are entrepreneurial thinking, which is starting with an idea and getting it done. And so that is one of the things that I continue to, to hopefully expose my kids to. And so if they ask me a question, I don't normally tell them the answer, at mm-hmm. least right away. I want them, I want them to think about it themselves. I'm like, so what do you think? And I don't even care what their answer is. I simply want them to know, or to to find out their thinking process, and and to think through that. Uh, we're also always um, we're always looking at. So I love exposing them to just unique opportunities and and unique places, and I, I try and surround them with with my work and and the people that are in my life, so that they they can see that there's other ways of. of of fulfilling what you want to do and, and, you know, having your passion really drive what what you want to do into the world. Um, Just recently we were in the BDIs actually this past, uh, past week, and we ended up sinking an old world war II ship that was turned into an artificial reef and a, a amazing sculpture of this giant kraken, And it's going to become a, a Marine preserve and it's also going to become a viable sort of economic initiative for the local community. And it was started on uh, the project that started literally last year, almost pretty much to the date. And, and so my kids were there for the sinking of the ship. And it was just a great example of how to take an idea from a sketch and a concept into actually getting it done. And, and you know, anytime I can expose them to that, the, the better.
2: Mm-hmm. What do you see uh, the role of education being uh, in the lives of your kids based on the fact that you're an entrepreneur and you've been exposed to a lot of people who probably haven't had a, a truly formal education?
1: Yeah. Uh, my wife and I definitely, uh, we definitely kind of spar on this a little bit because i <laughs> of public school education so is she uh-huh. and uh I'm like well you know maybe there's there's something better and she's like well okay let's let's figure out what is that better and, and so far we haven't quite figured out what that is but what we have both concluded is that we have the op you know it's up to us to to supplement the education so we're we're in a school system uh we're probably one of the one of the best school systems in in the country but i still don't feel like they're adequately prepared for for what's next so so we supplement it we actually have uh something we call our 13 silver keys which is a once a week uh we, we actually created almost like a an off-site uh kind of workshop or retreat we created as a family a couple years ago uh what's it mean to be to be a silver and and what's that look like and we literally had post-it notes spread out all over the wall and and put up all these all these ideas and values and thoughts and and so we landed on these thirteen silver keys, and and then once a week on Sundays we'll, we'll talk about what they are and and think about what happened from uh, from a point of view of you know how did this how did this show up and and what did this this inspire? So for instance, like one of them is make magic, and it's actually one of my favorite ones, uh, and it's one of the kids' favorite ones, and and we they they really got this. Uh, when, when we were actually looking at summer camps for the kids, and we we were driving up to the Poconos and I was talking about, okay, you know what you think about is it really shows up in your world. And they're like, okay, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, no, really, what, what kind of animal do you want to see? And they're like, a horse. I'm like, okay, we'll see a horse. And then my daughter's like, I don't want to see a dog being walked. I'm like, okay. And, and you know, one of the rest stops, we saw that. And we passed a horse on the way, you know, not, not a big deal. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, well, you know, my wife's like, I want to see a penguin, you know, like really trying to <laughs> try to throw me off. I'm like, no problem. We'll see a penguin. And of course I'm thinking like, all right, well, I'm not sure we're going to see a penguin, but I totally trust that we'll see a penguin. Uh-huh. And literally uh, we are touring one of the camps. And, uh, and so I'm like looking around, I'm like, okay, there's gonna be a penguin here. And we only went into one bunk so that they could kind of show us an example of what the kids bunks looks like. And, and then sitting on, on some kid's bunk was a picture of a penguin. I'm like Miss, my name is Missy. I'm like Miss, come over here, check it out. She's like, oh my god, and and so I, sh- you know, told the kids that on the way home, and then they got a little more extravagant. And my my daughter's like, I want to see a polar bear. I'm like, no problem, we'll see a polar bear, <laughs> and, uh, and and I said, I want to see an ice cube, and and so we got off. Uh, there's a ton of traffic on the way home. We got off on this little side road and stopped in a convenience store. And as we're walking into the door, of the convenience store on the side was this ice machine. And, and a sticker on there was an ice cube with a polar bear inside. And my daughter's name is Zoe. I'm like, Zoe, check this out. I'm like, Zoe, check this out. What do we got here? And she's like, oh, my gosh. And, uh, you know, from then on, they were, you know, that, they were hooked. Like these make magic moments, these, um, like, just these, these intentional awareness, like, almost like creating your uh your own reality in a way or these synchronicities and, and things that, that show up and so that's one of them and then we have we have uh 12 others that you know once a week so it's kind of based on ben franklin's 13 virtues where every week you'd work on a virtue mm-hmm. and uh and so that's that's become part of uh part of our lives and and something that that we continue to could be watching a movie devoted to something like dream big it could be um you know, last week's was, uh, was, was keep learning and growing. And, and so we'll talk about, you know, what, what do, how did we learn or what did we grow? And, you know, they, they both learned how to snorkel last week. So we'll talk about that or, and just other things that, that really just help them have intentional ways that I think we, we teach our kids. And that, that to me is, is some of the most important work that we can do.
2: Mm, wow. So, you know, one of the things you mentioned earlier was this notion of struggle, and I know you even referenced this idea of struggle in the book, you know, the fact that our struggle has often and made us, I and mean, you said, you know, you know, tons of people, entrepreneurs have gone through depression, have gone through issues of a of lot of challenges, and one, I'm curious what those moments have been in your own life, um, and how you got out of them, and, and what advice you give to people who are in those moments
1: uh, in their lives. Yeah, um, it's... It's really interesting because we get to frame and we get to decide how we want to uh, essentially how, how you know, what, what do we want our response to be to any situation? So if um, there, there's a great book by Michael Singer called The Surrender Experiment, and I love that, that aspect of, of surrender and, and realizing that there's, you know, he talks about that the universe has even more in store for you than, than you can imagine, And many times if we look at what is a setback or an obstacle or or a struggle in that, in that frame or paradigm, then, then it becomes something that's like, okay, there's, you know, there's a reason for this. And I look at, at joy as, as our, our GPS that we have in our, in our lives. And it's constantly sort of moving us. We're attracted to joy and, and living in joy. And I think we either grow through joy or pain. And and I look at pain as the guardrails that are on either side on our way towards towards joy. And those guardrails could be could be pretty narrow. So we have uh, you know, then we're in alignment with what our joy is and, and how we're truly connected with um, our heads and our hearts and our higher purpose of what we're what we're doing out in the world, especially as entrepreneurs, or the guardrails could be wider and we continue to get bonked on the head harder and harder. And I think that we keep getting lessons and bonked on the head until we until we you know realize what 's going on here, and for me, that really came to a front where you know about about nine ten years ago, I was in a spot where you know just online marketing space, digital marketing uh, doing really well, making a lot of money, helping a lot of people uh, outside looking in you 'd think that I kind of had it made in his perfect sort of life, and then I asked myself, you know, am I, am I truly happy?" And the real answer was, was no, I wasn't happy because I thought there was something more I could be doing. And so I I journaled quite a bit and and actually that's one of my favorite processes and journaling about thinking about, okay, what would be my ultimate end all be all kind of business or expression of what I want to do. And. And it was, oh, I'm gonna create something called Maverick Business Adventures, which is gonna be adventure travel trips for entrepreneurs. We'd have these amazing adventures. We'd do business sessions in the middle of nowhere, and we, you know, have some sort of charity component. And I'm like, okay, that's, you know, that that's it. And and these three interconnected circles of a dollar sign, a happy face, and a heart was was kind of what the uh, the original notion of it was. And and then so fast forward, about four hundred thousand dollars in, my wife's like, so what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. And, and I don't know if you've ever had this uh, happen when you're, you're having multiple things going on. And, and I I lost pretty much all my passion for what I was doing before in the in the publishing side of things. And I just wasn't happy there. But that was the real moneymaker and that was the, the cash driver. So that was continuing to sort of go down as my passion waned there. And But that was also the open checkbook that was paying for this other sort of experiment that, that I really wanted to do. But But the business model wasn't right. There's was a lot of things that weren't right there. And it actually ended up, uh, I ended up selling my Aston Martin to pay for payroll, uh, and, and to pay for some of the things that were going on. And, and that was that final sort of bonk on the head that I needed to be like, okay, right, so, you know, what are you doing? Um, and, and that was, that was a really dark time. I think, um, when, you know, that, that's when I came across Kambal's work. Uh, and I can't remember, he and I had met before that, but, but really his work, took on a, just a, a, a more important aspect to what, what I was doing because here's someone else who, who went through a really dark time and then I just started thinking about you know what what is it that that really made me happy and, and or you know, continue to give me meaning in my life at that point and it forced me to like extract myself, my identity, my self-worth from my, my net worth at that point. And that's a really that's a really hard thing for entrepreneurs because our identities are so wrapped up in in our businesses, mm-hmm. and uh, and so it I, you know forced me to really go back over 15, 20 years of studying success principles and what what had I done before and I turned that into this you know I called this return path to, to to joy happiness and bliss and, and it was just like really basic like building block stuff like you know what if I had a great day with that then turn into a great week and, and, and a great month and so forth. And it really just forced me to go back and think about what, what, what were those pieces? And I broke them down into these nine M's uh, around, around meaning. Uh, you know, if I would write down some of these are, you know, everyone's heard these before, but if I would write down and think about what I was grateful for in my journal, Mm -hmm. if I would write somebody a thank you note, I felt better about it. If I would, you know, just make a difference in someone's life, I'd be, I'd be happier if, uh, if I had movement, yeah, you know, it as another M, like if I did something athletic, um, you know, I'd be, I'd be happier if I had more mindfulness in my world. Um, I actually started experimenting with meditation at that point. Uh, I had always been, uh, you know, never, never been open to meditation before. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, that was something that I had like, I don't know, a hundred, 200 ideas running around in my head. And I'm like, All right, I could never do this. And I had the opportunity to to interview uh, Russell Simmons, and uh, you know he's ADHD all the way, all the way, and and I'm like, okay, if this guy could do it, I, I feel like I could do it. <laughs> and and so I I had the week before my interview. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a go, and and then it's stuck. I mean, it's been like I don't know three three and a half years or something like that, uh-huh. and and that's been really really powerful. And and so you know pieces like that to really really just bring you back to what. What is most important? And I'm actually so incredibly thankful for that time because it forced me to think about what is my bigger why? Like my, my why wasn't to create an adventure travel company. It was what we talk about now is our mission is to change the way business is played, and then it forced me to, to even go back and I mean we changed the name of the, of the organization to call it Maverick 1000 because it's this idea of a thousand sons who can each light another thousand sons that can really change the world in some way through, through entrepreneurship. And I would never have gotten there if if it succeeded uh, right away. And then also, it gave me this unique opportunity of, of meeting some incredible icons like like Richard Branson and you know, Tony Shea and uh, Rich Tierling, former CEO of Harley Davidson, and you know, you name it. I learned all these little pieces from from each of them about what it truly meant to uh, to create uh, an organization that that mattered and did something. Big into the world and kind of pulled all these little pieces together into what I call the evolved enterprise.
7: Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust Oleum's new Custom Spray 5 in 1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
4: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not
6: so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.
2: So I, I do want to spend uh, quite a bit of time talking about the idea of the evolved enterprise. You know, this is something I'm curious about. So you know, you mentioned selling, having to sell the Aston Martin as being a yeah. low point. and I'm guessing there are probably some people rolling their eyes <laughs> as they heard that.
1: Yeah, yeah. you oh, know, periodic, right?
2: You know, it, it, and, you it. know, not not at all meant as a criticism you, but this is it's a segue to a question. And, you know, this is something I've noticed in my life, um, and I'm curious if you've noticed it in yours. It's that you know, you know, when you get to a certain high point, the fall is so much. worse. Worse, because you're falling from so much higher uh, than it would be. So, like, if it wasn't selling the Aston Martin and you had to sell, you know, like a Nissan Altima, which is what I drive, like, I wonder if that the impact would be nearly as as devastating. And I'm just curious what what your experience has been with that.
1: So, I, I wrote a really interesting blog post just, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe nine months ago or so about it because uh, it, it took a little while to really really process it and, and think through it uh, because a lot of times we're so attached to you know, that was kind of a symbol of, of my success. And and when I sold it, I wasn't even like that sad. I mean, it wasn't like, Oh no, boo hoo. It, it was like, you know, it's a thing. And I was actually choosing at that moment between selling, uh, my ticket for Virgin Galactic, which is a suborbital space flight, uh, <laughs> over the Aston Martin. And, um, uh, and you know, one was an experience that's sort of out into the future and very nebulous and you know, it's it's getting closer and closer. I've been a ticket holder for a long time. And then and then the SMR, which is a thing, and you know, I, I knew things come and go, and that that wasn't the really most important part of of what I had to have in my life. And and but it did take me a little while. So I was driving, you know, a, a bit of a a bit of a clunker it was like this old we had a you know, a third car that was just a SUV like that. Acura MDX, uh, an older version model. And then it finally, you know, when I got to the point where I could actually truly appreciate it and, and, and really, you know, just, uh, you know, take great care of it and wash it and and keep it clean and, and just really appreciate it for, for what it was. Um, that's when things started opening up again. Like, you know, I could have went out and bought another car the next day if I really wanted and leased it or, but that wasn't, like I wasn't interested in that. I was like, okay, let's see what, you know, what what is the real sort of, what do I need to sort of sit with and, and learn here, mm-hmm. and, and and you know, after that, I might see someone driving a really hot car, and be like, no, oh, you know, wow, I hope they hope they really enjoy that car, <laughs> and then it got to this point where I'd start like, and this sounds maybe a little weird, I'd start like blessing them and, and being like, yeah, I'm just so grateful for them to have that car and enjoy it on a beautiful spring day, and and, and it's just you know, it just totally changed and things started opening up. And I remember reading a journal entry of mine talking about my 40th birthday. Uh-huh. And and this is when I really, it's really kind of came full circle where I was reading about, it's kind of my perfect day on my 40th birthday. And it was like, you know, who I was hanging out with, how much money was in the bank, uh, what I was doing, uh, what I was driving. It was like, you know, a, a blue, a, blue Fisker karma car and and all these things. And then, you know, I, I read it on my actual 40th birthday or right around there. And my wife's looking at me and she's like, I'm oh, you know, already upset that, you know, all these things didn't quite come true. And I'm like, you know, not really because it, I looked at it and the essence of pretty much all of them were, were correct. Like, you know, the money in the bank was really a reflection of the freedom to do what I want with who I wanted and, and be able to, to work on, on what I wanted to do. And then the car, uh, was, was more a reflection of driving something that reflected my personality and what I wanted. And and so I just recently got a, a Mini Cooper uh, Clubman. I don't know if you've seen those, but they're the same sort of wheel height or, I don't know, size, whatever, as, as a regular Mini Cooper, like the little tiny ones, mm-hmm. but they're just extended to their four doors. And it was just like, you know, it just really fit. And it's actually blue, uh, and it fit. Uh, it just really fit my personality. It's so kind of quirky and and fast, and, and you know, kind of just a lot of fun to drive. And it was just this perfect sort of expression of, of of who I was at the time. And so I really got into having more of the essence of, of goal setting and not, not being attached to what is the exact thing. Yeah. And in, and even in my journal, I read about, you know, who I'm hanging out with and, and I couldn't have planned it even better. Like on my 40th birthday, I was uh, hanging out with Richard Branson at, at Virgin Galactic. And then the next week we were off to go do a safari in, uh, in South Africa or Kenya. I can't remember where. but So, you know, I didn't write about that like even better. So that whole idea of the universe has something more in store for you than you even believe.
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting because that that idea of how you set goals, you know, related to the essence of what you want really struck me Um, that that was the section of the book that I I knew I definitely wanted to to actually spend quite a bit of time talking about because this quote in particular struck me. You said by simply having no attachment, you're free. Easier said than done, because as entrepreneurs, (laughs) we're typically so intermeshed into our business that our identities are wrapped up tightly into whether (laughs) it's a success or a failure. So the question for me is how do you do that while remaining committed to a goal? And also, like, let's say that you were to walk somebody through the goal-setting process, you know, somebody listening to this, if they wanted to go through that process of, what do I want my 40th birthday to look like? How would you guide me through that?
1: Well, so it's all, to me, it's been all about the essence. And, and you know, what, if we break down every single goal that we have, and I literally just had this conversation with a guy last week, uh was like, I want to be a billionaire. That's what's written on my wall, on my mirror, I'm like, okay. Why <laughs> and you know it's and he you know he started talking about what he could do with it and and how it would make him feel and then you know he just kept exploring it a little bit more and I'm like okay so the real essence is again you know the freedom to do what you want with whom you want being able to serve who you want and you know his ultimate goal is to be happy uh-huh. I'm like okay well <laughs> guess what you don't need that billion dollars but in, but for you now you've wrapped your mind around. Unless I get the billionaire status, the B status, I'm not going to be happy Uh like that puts you in a really tough spot. Sure. And and so one of my favorite books, uh, you know, at this time that I was sort of going through, you know, a pretty big, I guess, evolutionary leap was, it's called The Great Work of Your Life. And I don't know if you've ever seen it or heard of it.
2: No, but Uh, I saw that in the references. Like, I I went through your book and I was like, okay, books to
1: order. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I love books. I mean, to me, like, I'll go through about a book a week and and to me, books are just... I mean you could have a distillation of somebody's 15 20 10 years whatever it is of their life
3: uh-huh.
1: put into a book and and I think we grow through either the books or the resources or materials that we learn from uh, the people that we meet or the experiences that we have and and I just love love a great book and especially going back to it over and over again mm-hmm. and so this book The Great Work of Your Life by Stephen Cope explores the Bhagavad Gita which is you know one of our most ancient spiritual texts and one of the biggest, um, I guess, insights from that book is that we can't be attached to to the outcomes. So we're only we're only uh, welcome to the essentially to our, our labor. So if we put our full heart and soul into something, uh, we're, we're not able to be uh, attached to the to the fruit. So we're not entitled to the fruit of our labor, mm-hmm. and, and and that's really kind of a big deal for entrepreneurs is, and that's the, you know, the sales goals or the quotas or the, you know, or the, you know, I want my company to be a whatever $5 million company or $2 million or a hundred thousand dollars, whatever it is, all of a sudden we're, and then when we start getting attached to that outcome, uh-huh. everything Good. we can truly contribute is by putting our full heart and soul into something. And, and this was a huge actual shadow for me. And, and you know this this was so Carl Jung's work on on shadows which is the kind of characteristics or aspects of ourselves that we don't really want to share with the public or or, or make known or, or bring out into the light which is why they're called shadows and for me my biggest shadow was not putting 100 percent into anything and it really really struck me because i started Looking at this and and looking at the history of it, I mean, I remember, you know, back in high school, just kind of sliding by and then college, um, I'd go out the night before and get really drunk and come in smelling a bourbon and be the last one into like stats class and borrow a pencil and walk out of there like a, you know, the B or B minus or whatever it was. And not that I was like, so, so smart, but I was just kind of a good short-term learner and I would, you know, know enough to, to get by and, but I never gave myself you know, full, full commitment and, and same with like the, the products and services I was putting out there that they were, they are great. I mean, I live by this motto and this value system of I get rich by enriching people 10 X to hundred X what they pay me in return. So it wasn't like we we're delivering shoddy stuff. It was, it was good stuff, but I wasn't truly putting my full heart and soul into it because then it gave me the excuse that, Oh, if it didn't quite work out, then, you know, now I have I mean, this reason Why? And that was a big deal.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow!
2: So, one of the question I have, uh, sort of about the, the life that you've built and the relationships, in particular, that you've formed, is that you've managed to connect and build relationships with some highly influential and highly successful people and also, you know, make them a part of the work that you do. Um, So two questions actually come from that. One is, you know, how have you managed to establish these kinds of relationships? And the other actually is based on a conversation um, that I had with Justine Musk, um, Elon's ex-wife, about the psychology of visionaries. Uh, You know, you may have have probably come across this. She wrote a piece on Quora. She wrote a response on Quora to some uh, student who had put up Question: Saying how can I be great like Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, or Richard Branson? And yeah. given that you have you know had a front row seat to somebody like Richard Branson, I, I'm curious. That level of accomplishment um, is that accessible to like the average person, or is there something that just separates these people that you know there's something to aspire to, but we can't ever be?
1: Yeah, I, I saw Justine's response on Quora. I thought that was really fascinating about what kind of commitment yeah you know even has made and to put into it and, and what that really looks like and you know my my frame has been around richard because he's, he's sort of um he's the person that i've i wouldn't say model, but he's been my my biggest mentor in a way uh of, of just we share a lot of a lot of archetypes and a lot of characteristics and you know from the adventure side to to the entrepreneurial side to the the impact side and, and wanting to make a difference and so I'm probably skewed because I've seen Richard now from when he's you know gotten a little older mm-hmm. and and so you know maybe maybe it's a, a little bit different that that full on intense commitment you know I haven't seen that side of him where where he's working 18 hours a day or anything like that and I don't I don't know if I, I don't don't know if that he ever truly had that, but, but, you know, again, I, I, I don't, I don't have a front row seat to that from before. And, you know, just in conversations with him from what he would do before, I mean, he always would, would make his life more than just his business and, and his kids would be around all the time and he'd take meetings on his houseboat and, you know, the family was there and so forth. So he really did try and interconnect his, his life in that way. Um, I I do believe that we are all here with a really unique set of talents and skills and almost like a blueprint for what we were designed to do. And as uh, I don't know, as as strange as that might sound or maybe out there, like I, I really do believe that. And and that comes from you know, again, that, that book, the the great work of your life. So, so Steve's talking about Dharma and our, mm-hmm. our true path and, and what is our, our purpose. It's like, when we align in that, that's when we we do truly put out our greatest work and it doesn't even feel like work. It just feels like what we were meant to do. And that only comes from, I think a lot of self-exploration, a lot of um, getting, it, it, just being really candid and, and clear about who we are and what we were meant to do. Uh, and then, and then also allowing, allowing the part of ourselves that, that has the big dreams to not get shut down by it. And, and sometimes, you know, your dreams will grow as you reach the next sort of stepping stone or building block for, for what, what you have going on in your world. Uh, I remember a conversation I had with Richard a couple of years ago, on his other island on mosquito. And and we were talking about, I'm like, so, you know, did you ever think that your brand would be, you know, these 350, 400 brands? And he's like, you know, originally I I didn't. And then there's an ad or an article that came out in ad age or something like that, talking about how elastic the the Virgin brand was. And then all of a sudden it kind of gave him permission to be like, Oh yes, well, you know, now I'm going to make it all these other things as well. So sometimes you, you know, as you're, doing what you're doing you you get uh permission in some way or you get validation that that what you're doing has a a a bigger aspect to it so i don't i don't know if elon thought i'm gonna go to mars this is his very first thing that he ever dreamt about when he was i don't know 14 years old or whatever it was but you know paypal became maybe the maybe the fuel for for what that was but but i do think that he is uh he is someone who, who has a, a huge aspiration, and he and he knows that each of the pieces that he's building right now are the building blocks to what his his biggest aspiration is. Mm-mm. Wow.
2: Well, let's do this. Um, I want to spend the rest of our time talking about uh, this notion of an evolved enterprise. And, you know, what I'd like to do is one, you know, define what an evolved enterprise is and then look at it through these three lenses that you mentioned at the beginning of the book, transactional, transformational, and transcending. And have you explained, you know, what those
1: each mean and and how they apply? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, evolved enterprise, as I said, came really through putting these building blocks and pieces together through this journey. And to me, an evolved enterprise is a a company that is almost the soul of the business is uh, is aligned with with their greater purpose. And you know, as a business is a separate entity, so if we can have a soul, why can't a business have a soul? And it's it puts your your customers they want to they want to buy more and be associated and spread the word with your bigger mission. Uh, your your team members want to be aligned and with the bigger purpose of what you're doing. Uh, it gets you fired up and, and out of bed and excited for the, the bigger uh, role that you can play. And it also, the best part about it is it actually improves your bottom line. And you know, there's, there's a lot of data showing that this is the greatest shift that that's happening right now. And it's happening from the inside out and the outside in. And the outside in is buying criteria is changing. Uh, customers are willing to, um, not willing, but they want to buy from companies that have a greater purpose and a greater mission and they're changing their buying behavior. They're, they're, they're switching brand preferences. Companies on the uh, S&P 500 list are, are staying on there uh, 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 for less amount of time. Uh, companies are out there who are taking on mega giants like Warby Parker uh, took on Luxottica, which had something like 80% of the, of the optical marketplace and, and are, are winning and, and, and beating them. And, and we're able to get to a billion dollar valuation through using some of these principles. And then inside out is millennials who are you know, one of the biggest groups out there, especially of, of new uh, employees and team members and, and even uh, people that have a huge uh, sort of buying block that they they want to work for companies that have this mission or purpose and they're willing to even get paid less for it. So it really is like this perfect storm coming. And and so an in Involved Enterprise is able to to truly, you know, allow you to to design your company around the greater purpose and and joy and and meaningful impact that that you want to put out into the world. It's like, how could we, it almost seems like too good to be true, honestly. It's like, how could we, how could we make more and and do better in the world? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So what about those three sort of ideas of transactional, transformational and
1: transcending? Yeah. Yeah. So how do we you know that that's the ultimate goal is to get into a transcending company so transactional is pretty much what it sounds like it's I got you know an onion, and you have an onion, and, and we're both <laughs> selling onions. And you know what do we do to make our onion possibly better? You can, we can price it better, and and a lot of times it turns into almost a commodity, and, and commodities get uh, get get beaten down into to lowest price competition, and then and then someone tries to create a brand around it, and, and then they try to differentiate their onion, and, but it still becomes very transactional. There's not much brand loyalty. It's it's you know very much uh, just an exchange of of, of I have you have cash and I have an onion and you want my onion. And so there's not, there's not that much there at a transformational level, uh, companies, every, every stakeholder, uh, or community that a company touches, like their identity actually changes and transforms. So whether it's the the team members, customers, uh, investors, uh, the community that they're serving their customers, it's like, their Their identities truly change um, yeah, I remember like Mike My, from Tom's would be talking about uh, how when they started selling tom's shoes that that the identity of the purchaser would change because you know tom's original thing was and still is you buy a pair of shoes that they give a pair of shoes to, to someone in need and he never, by the way, even expected it to get as big as it is, and and now he, they have a, a, an amazing sort of logistical issue with with the amount of giving and what they do. Uh, but but it, it did change and transform the identity of the of the customer because they're able to vote with their wallet and know that the purchase that they made made a difference in some way, mm-hmm. and. When we get to that transformational level, like the identity changes and, and are, there's ways of, of building up essentially a tribe and community of people that, that love what you're doing, that they want to spread it. They want to, they're become unpaid advocates and, I remember talking to uh, Dale Partridge, who we brought in for a Maverick meeting, and, and he was co-founder of a, a little company called Sevenly.org, which originally started off uh, selling T-shirts, and they'd be on sale for seven days, and uh, they would uh, donate $7 from every T-shirt to one of seven big sort of umbrella uh, causes that they are supporting, so hence the, you know the name Sevenly. And he told us that 80% of their new customer acquisition came from social shares, and I, I found that stat pretty incredible because that means that we can spend way less in advertising. Uh, we have our customers out there as our as our biggest advocates, and and they're able to do things that that bigger competitors couldn't. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and then so the and then the final level is um, is transcending, and that is we could transcend what what business could even be. And, and so it's almost, it becomes a win-win-win-win across all these different facets, almost like uh, if you look at a, a diamond or any polished jewel, there's all these different facets. And it, and it truly becomes a, a piece of art that we're creating, uh, and, and our business becomes our canvas that we're, we're building this artwork. And you know, a couple of interesting examples. Um, I have 11 different I call them Evolved Enterprise Impact Models in the book, and, and one of them is called Empowered Employment. And there's a company called Ultra Testing, which, um, will hire people that are on the autism spectrum scale in order to do what, what they do is like quality control testing and, and across cross browsers and so forth. So kind of, you know, repetitive tasks and, and what stereotypically they found is people on the autism spectrum scale that they have more attention to detail. They're okay with repetitive tasks and so forth. So they took what could be a uh, very much a, a, a disadvantage for, for a workforce and turned it into a competitive advantage. And so it, you know, it magnifies their their unique aspect of what they do in the marketplace. So they're they're providing a hopefully a superior service to to other companies and doing it with uh, with with helping an un- underserved marketplace uh, for for uh, for employees. And to me, that's that's a really unique way of, of transcending what a business can be.
2: Mm, wow. Well, this has been truly, truly mind blowing. So, I have um, one last question, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Uh, I mean, I think what makes someone or something unmistakable is that they truly embrace their their difference and their uniqueness. Um, you know, each each person is is this incredible mosaic of of what they what they've uh, you know every every little quirk that they have and characteristic and and life experience and a lot of times we we somehow dim our our uniqueness uh, in order to maybe try and fit in or or try and uh, be like be like the crowd in some way and and it's when we finally learn how to how to embrace what makes us beautifully. Special and that, that ultimate, unique, um, just optimal self. And so part of it is, is genetic in a way, like almost like what were we designed to do or what were we meant to do? And then part of it is, is this continual process of, of evolving ourselves in a very conscious way, and almost like uh, you know, polishing uh, a diamond. So you take that, that rough diamond. And, and it has all the characteristics of a diamond, but it has to be polished and cut by an expert um, diamond cutter in order to get that brilliance out of it. And a lot of times, uh, actually every time, every single person has that brilliance within them. And sometimes it's hiding from maybe drinking too much, maybe other vices, whatever it is, um, because sometimes we're, we're really scared of our own radiance and our own just brilliance and, and letting that get out there. Mm.
2: Well, um, this has been just absolutely fantastic. Where can people learn uh, more about you and your work?
1: The, uh, so the best part so, would be to, to go to evolvedenterprise.com for the book. We have a unique kind of deal right now where we're, we're building another village uh, in, in cooperation with Village Enterprise. And they teach micro entrepreneurs how to, how to get out there and, and, and actually support themselves in, in East Africa. And we've, we've actually already impacted one entire village of 50 micro entrepreneurs and we're, we're onto hopefully our, our next village and, and many more. So there's a limited edition package that's available there, or of course, Amazon or anywhere else that you buy books is involved enterprises available there.
2: Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that.